Yes, welcome back to How Did I Get Here? This is, of course, the Student Edge podcast. We're asking the question, well, how did you get here? Bit of a special episode today because, well, we're not on campus, but we are on campus here at Cecil Andrews College. And I'm joined today by their principal, Stella Ginman. Stella, hello. Hello, Charlie, and hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for joining me. We're going to jump right into it because I've got a lot of things that I want to ask about today. Of course, it's how do I get here, so we're going to start at the start. You as a student, how would you describe yourself? Oh, that is a very interesting question because (laughs) there's a lot of facets to me as a student. And I haven't always been a model student, I might add, too. Mm. But then I sometimes think... The system fails our students in so many ways and unless it's really going to adjust, just like any student, you can become bored or switch off. And I actually had a friend say to me, I'm not surprised you became a teacher because Stella, you can relate to the kids and that's always been true. I'm very, very big on positive respect for relationships. It becomes the cornerstone of how I lead in a school. However, I've had the incredible opportunity and unique sort of combination of starting in a very elite private school but then also once we moved and went I was actually I grew up in Hobart we actually moved um, to the eastern shore and from that point onwards I actually went into public education and I actually think that has given me a different perspective because most people stay in one or the other though I know we do get changeover I feel that that has been in the early inception of how I see education and what I'd like to bring to it. Hmm. Growing up at school, you know, did you have a favourite subject throughout? Uh, Favourite subjects did change, but I must admit I always loved anything creative and arty and um, English. I've always really shone out into the humanities areas. We'll we'll look at the other side of the coin, a least favourite subject. Um, I really didn't like maths (laughs) and I was in the highest maths. Unfortunately, I had a teacher who I really liked and he used to describe it like we were all on an iceberg and the iceberg was slowly melting (laughs) and we were going to have the water go higher and higher. (laughs) And so he tried to make a dry, dull subject to me a lot more interesting and invigorating and I've never forgotten he was one of my favourite teachers and had a great sense of humour. Now, would you describe yourself maybe as more of a teacher's pet or a troublemaker? Oh, that is an intriguing question. <laughs> I think a little bit of both because if I was not like really engaged, if I got bored, I could be a troublemaker. Mm. I was a good student. Like I was always one of the students who became a prefect and you right, know rose yes. to the top or whatever as a leader. Um, I think though I was naughty at times. <laughs> I was back in the day, and this will show my age in a way, I actually led a bit of, bit of a revolution at school which actually now <laughs> I think about it probably does kind of lead to where I am today because I took the girls and I went down in the school I was in down into the dungeons which was the um, down in the basement sort of area was where the design and technology was set up for the boys only it changed shortly after that but I took all the girls down there (laughs) (laughs) because I didn't think that that was equitable (laughs) so that was one of the things that I did but also I do remember getting kicked out of a music class and it was because I had private violin lessons and I was so far ahead it just totally disengaged me and I can remember being kicked out of that class. That's so interesting the the (laughs) revolution at an early age do you think that plays a part in what you're doing now? Oh yes look I'm quite revolutionary and I don't (laughs) mind revealing it in terms of that urgency and need to actually in all seriousness transform education yesterday Mm. like we are leaving it later and later we are not doing our Australian students a favour 
we are not um, taking all of them to their true potential. We are not engaging them enough. Uh, we're teaching too much in silos. It's not real world. It's not relevant. And we're not equipping them to be job capable and they're not ready for the changing field of jobs and the fact that it's going to be a mobile way. They're going to have to mm. be able to respond and they need to be better prepared. And that is what I'm all about. I'm very passionate about every child achieving to their true potential and not just some of them. Mm. I'm always interested in this when I'm talking to you know, current educators. Did you have a teacher or maybe somebody at the school when you were a student that really had an impact on you? Uh, I think several of my teachers mm. had an impact on me. I think the ones that could see the leadership capacity in me yeah. and that actually were able to draw it out of me and when I did things that might have been viewed as naughty, those teachers still held me in high esteem for the things that I did and led very boldly. They were able to actually support me because, yeah, with a boldness comes sometimes a misunderstanding. I don't think some of the things I did were actually naughty as such. I think that... When I think back now, I actually was leading changes that needed to happen, but I was a bit ahead of my time. And I guess that sort of now I'm seeing that connection with the way I'm so visionary. So I see things before they happen. I try and lead that, and I've always done that. So um, it's landed me in the principal's office where I actually spoke to him at a um, swimming carnival because he was sitting up on the bleachers smoking. I said, do you think that's a good example to be setting the rest of the students? So, yeah, I ended up in his office getting a dressing down <laughs> the next day. But I know the deputy and others and the teacher, who was my English teacher, just wrote me an amazing report about right. how brave and what a leader I was. And, and she was a smoker herself. So, you know, that's just an example of, I think, having that courage to lead even when you're going against the status quo and then later on, well, it's proven to be the way to go hmm. forward is often the case. I do a bit of groundbreaking now when I'm talking to you, reflecting, that I hadn't really kind of seen quite so clearly as, as I'm speaking to you, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Looking now to your first ever job, what was it? We like to ask everyone this on this podcast, you know, did you have a casual job starting out? What was the first yeah. work Look, you ever did? I was pretty proud. I, I took off from home very young mm. and I wanted to earn my own way in life and I didn't want my parents' financial support, I thought I can do this myself. So even putting myself through um, some of my study, I had two jobs to do that. Right. And they were two opposing poles apart. So one was I was a housemistress at PLC right. and lived in and did my study at Netherlands mm. College and then I was also a checkout chick. So <laughs> I know, isn't that interesting? It is because they're Polar so opposites. different. But <laughs> I've always tried to work and not just go straight from school to mm. university to teaching because I believe all educators should have some time out working. Mm. I think that's really, really critical. Yeah, speaking about that, when does for you education start to look like your future career? When, when do you have that idea? To be a teacher? Yeah. My teachers did. They saw it when I was at right. school. They used to invite me to the staff room for cups of coffee. <laughs> and they said, Stella, why don't you become a teacher? And I said, no way would I become a teacher. I wouldn't even dream of it. So there you go. Mm. I said, no, I'm going to be an actor. And that's what I was planning to do. Until oh, really? I pretty much got dragged kicking and screaming into teaching initially. Mm. But it's obviously once you're there, you know where you're meant to be. Mm. You just mentioned a bit of it there, but that transition from high school into tertiary education, uh, did you study education immediately? Was that And what was that transition like for you? No, look, I actually didn't. I mm. did a Bachelor of Arts right. and I was majoring in English and psychology and psychology was of great interest to me and I believe you apply that in 
any kind of a pathway in this day and age anyway. Mm. Because given the multitude of mental health ailments and the worsening conditions that we're under with, you know, so many disruptions to learning and what happens, I think, you know, we have to make sure that we're totally in tune with the students' health and wellbeing, their mental health needs as a priority and not lose that in an education. They need that quality education, but they also need ample help and support and services for their health and wellbeing. Hmm. Then, uh, of course, studying education, what's the experience of being a student teacher like? Okay, well, to be perfectly honest, I don't rate any of the study that I actually did. Right. However, when I got into the practicals and the practice, mm. I loved it and that's where they loved me in the schools, the students, the staff. It just worked, you know what I mean? It's that magic and chemistry that kind of helped me in teaching because actually I found the study, especially after a very invigorating and a really great arts degree, I found it a little paling in comparison. It didn't really do much for me. Right. So you really benefited from actually getting out there and into the classroom? Correct, mm. yes. Uh, so first job out of uni, where was it and how did you transition into that role? Well, to be honest, um, I remember doing some little bits and pieces and working in different areas, even in restaurants, um, <coughs> which just wasn't for me. Yeah. I, I do remember learning um, in a five-star restaurant and <laughs> just really being focused on serving and... Um, and the ladies looked very st- stiff and nervous and I think it must have been because they were watching me closely and worried about me because um, they said, oh, I'm glad you can do silver service because I can't. And just as she said that, I actually dropped the food on her lap and I went, no, neither can I. <laughs> and I thought that from that moment I walked away. It wasn't for me. Mm. I wasn't set for the restaurant or the hospitality industry. That wasn't what I was geared for. And then I do remember because I was thinking about going into acting, I was only really going... I turned down my first teaching job. Right. I actually did. And then they came back and said, hang on, we've got a drama teacher, English teacher who's gone overseas. Could you take her place? And it was during the year. So I went in and the rest is history. Yeah. Like it's just sometimes on a trajectory in life, you reach a point that's a defining moment in your destiny and that was that point. And then I just remember, oh, sorry, this is really moving. One of the students in the class, um, she hadn't engaged at all in her class and her father wrote me this long letter and said I'm a head of department of English at another school and she hadn't switched on to education but since she's been studying with you in the class she's completely changed we're really mm. talking about texts and work literary the literary qualities and really working together she's excited and enthused about her learning and you know I just didn't realize that there's a reward that comes the moment that you change a student's thinking in their life and it's very, very powerful. So how soon do you have the idea or do you want to enter administrative work, i.e., you know, kind of deputy principal positions? Funny you should say that. I didn't want to. Oh. Basically what happened, I remember my first promotion and um, the deputy principal said to me, Stella, you'll actually be climbing the walls and you'll have withdrawal symptoms when we take you out of a classroom. And she was basically right. And the principal said to me, I could see that you be a fantastic principal you've got a really lovely manner but there's steel underneath so I knew you would go that way and he said but um you'll find that the more and more removed you are from the classroom the less the less and less the professional satisfaction hmm. but then I got the picture that I could make changes I wanted to see in the system that I couldn't make as a teacher the things that were getting to me that I could see weren't right 
I had more ability as I got promoted. And I think we do promote our best classroom teachers and I don't think that's a really – I don't think that's a good thing. That's why right. I like the Level 3 teaching side of it and opportunities where teachers can actually be recognised for their craft and be equipped and supported in that as a career path, not have to go whole deputy, you know, head of learning area program coordinator, deputy principal. I think there's other ways to lead. Hmm. I noticed in a bit of my research that you spent some time working up in Broome uh, as a deputy principal at Broome Senior High, who, if our listeners don't know where that is, that's up in the Kimberley, which is right up the top end of WA. Mm. Educating in the Kimberley, is there any challenges of that specific environment? Were there ever? That (laughs) kind of actually crystallised everything that made Mm. Elmer really interested you referred to that. That was also very life-changing and an amazing experience. Um, When I left Broome, I don't think Broome ever... You can take the woman out of Broome, but you can't take take Broome out of the woman. (laughs) But I loved that. I didn't really want to leave the Kimberley. Um, That really... You do get so attached to the students and that community. That's where I really learnt the power of positive, respectful relationships and I live and breathe it every day. But um, that again, was a school that was not going well and the students were really alienated and the teachers weren't welcoming them into classrooms. The rest is history. It became a flagship school for the department, one Mm. of the top schools. One year I was there, ATAR was TE. Then we had the top TE results in the entire state, which was part of a miraculous turnaround. That happened and um, nobody could... But based on the numbers, we were the top school and that's with private schools taking all our best students and them being you know, going down into the city and, you know, we were up against it. We were still able to hold such a high standard. And that was a sustainable model that when I left, we saw students who could be the opposite. We saw them actually ending up graduating. They had more graduating than anywhere Aboriginal students than anywhere in Australia. And what was exciting, I heard there was, you know, another ducks of the school being Aboriginal and... You know, I saw parents and grandparents crying because none of them had ever gone to university. So you're opening doors and giving people opportunities in life and pathways that they would never have possibly had. And really, there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of problems with drugs, with um, overcrowding in homes, with um, all kinds of uh, different expectations and pressures on the families. Like, you know, they might be drinking, smoking, gambling... There's all sorts of things these children are grappling with and they're caught between two cultures. The elders aren't necessarily able to get through to them either. And so it was that whole dichotomy again of how do you engage a school community, how do you transform kids' education, how do you lift them into their potential so they can embrace the future and be value-adding to the future and be good citizens. And we did it. We proved it. We were in the top schools on very high and rigorous criteria and... I think that that remarkable story should be a chapter in history that everyone draws from because if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere and that is my point. I think it doesn't matter what school they're in, there's no discrimination. They're either critical thinking, using their creativity, recognising their talents and strengths and teachers are able to do that. Teachers are empowered or they're not and if you don't do that, then we're going to get the same old, same old. Hmm. You come to Cecil Andrews here as the principal back in 2013. At the time, school's got a low attainment rate, uh, it's got a low graduation rate. What's your mindset as you come into this position like? Well, I went in ready to conquer the world. I loved the fact that I did have an amazing arts program. I could see the raw talent. It was like an artesian well Mm -hmm. and I could see that. And yet these students weren't getting an education, a quality education, and I thought they're going to. I love a challenge. 
and it was a school that was looking at to be closed down for failing and I noticed that they had Operation Roundup because kids were streaming over the... Someone would be on the phone in a staff room and kids would be over on the roof, roaming across the roof, coming out of the windows, throwing chairs through windows, you know, having punch-ups, recess and lunch. I couldn't tell what the uniform was. Yeah, it was going downhill but... I came in with a fresh vision and a belief that any child can achieve if you give them the right learning and the tools and the right learning environment and if you provide quality teaching and that has to be done in a very strategic way. Mm. What was your big plan as you came into Cecil Andrews? Yes, it was to conquer the world. Like I had a big (laughs) plan and vision and fortunately I was able to bring politicians to the table to see and Mm -hmm bring in what they could to that vision. So I remember with a meeting with the Minister and Premier of the day that one of the deputies said to me, it's like we gave them the vision and like they brought the resources in to support that vision. And that's mm. precisely what I think happened. Instead of closing us down, they believed we could we had a vision and we could do it. And it was a team effort. It was never just me standing alone. I don't believe in being a lone ranger. I think it's so important that um, we have a team around us to change the world with us. So, yeah, I did come in thinking we could Mm. make history and change the world for these children and for others following them and break a poverty cycle. Mm. And we've proven to be able to do that. Now, nearly a decade later, stats have improved. The school is looking great. I've just been around it all day today. What do you attribute that success to? The people. The most important resources are your human resources Mm -hmm. and a really engaged population of people who believe in the vision as well. If everybody has this vision and they're all working collaboratively and they're working through the conflicts and disagreements in a very respectful way, if there's positive respectful relationships and people genuinely care and lift the lid on their expectations, if kids aren't actually defined by their postcodes, then basically we're going to unleash them on the world. And I'd like to see Australia become an innovation nation, take our true position globally. We could be the next Silicon Valley because we need the entrepreneurial mindsets and the innovators and the STEM. And if we teach right, these kids will be able to understand and fit into a pathway. They'll have the knowledge and self-efficacy and confidence to achieve their dreams. They'll dream big and they'll achieve them. Mm. Big question alert. Uh, I think this one will give us a really good insight into who you are as an educator. In your own words, what's the role of a principal? The role of a principal is an Mm. enabler. Yeah. Okay. To me, a principal shouldn't get carried away with status or position. I believe in humble leadership and, you know, Peter Hamilton and Michael Full and all the big people who you need to read and study research, leaders are readers, will tell you the same thing. The point is everyone's equally important but we've got different roles. So the role of a principal is to lead, to get everybody to have a common vision, to use common language and vision to believe in that vision and to drive everyone in the one direction but also then to be able to support them and resource them and make sure that um, we're valuing the people in the organisation and that's every person because everybody's got a role. Like if you talk to the gardener, he'll be on board with the vision and want to do the best for the students. Like, nobody should be left out or behind. It's the same with the students. If you want them all to achieve... Like, we've got one student, he actually works on the gardens, by the way. See beautiful grounds and gardens? Mm. There was a dust bowl. This place looked like a ghetto. The graffiti, the... It wasn't loved. You could see it was dilapidated, broken down. It is a very old school. There was no STEM centre. There wasn't going to be a library innovation. There wasn't the partnerships. Basically, this is a transformational story and everybody owns it. Mm. So getting everyone on board and buying in is a real key. Mm. 
throughout your career, you've been recognised in a number of different ways, including a swath of awards and nominations. Is there one recognition that stands out for you? To be honest, I absolutely loved the Witwa Award, Women yeah. in Technology, because it was a surprise to me to be nominated. And I really loved it because I felt if I want the students, especially the girls, to engage in the technology and in their education, then I'm going to have to lead by example. So I'm going to have to push myself out of my own comfort zone. Sometimes leadership is about getting into the trenches and um, leading by example. So what I did was I worked with an engineer, Craig Powers, got his own innovative business, he's won awards, Engineer of the Year and other awards, he's got a patented design and can you imagine what that gives to kids? But as well as that, the students adored him and invited him to things like their school ball and presentation nights because, you know, it fits into their whole family community sense of, you know, having those role models and people to look up to and work with who, they, who care about them. But working with Craig, we were doing some amazing work with drones, like drone challenges and things. And I took kids that um, but people had given up on. The parents were tearing their hair out. The teachers had had enough of their bad behaviour. Um, basically, the parents were complaining to me and I thought, yeah, these students do have potential. I think we can do maths and their subjects differently. And one parent told me later, she said, at the beginning when you told me that, I thought you were just talking through your hat, but I have to take it. I have to tell you, Stella, um, you've actually delivered what you said you would and mm. they were so excited. So not only did those students get a great future, but they were able to model for the next generation and one of their younger brothers has been the star of some amazing things as well great apprenticeship pathway now because they see inspirational role models but they did an amazing steam show with the drones and i'll bet you if they had been behind the recent drone exhibition we wouldn't have drones <laughs> falling out of the sky because that's the thing they were learning real world skills they weren't just playing with drones mm. basically they were learning how to build them drive them, pilot them, and we did work with Mahmood and Global Drone Solutions and he helped us get pilot licences and gave scholarships generously. We were able to actually get teachers and qualified people with scholarships to do drones as a licence as well, and including, you know, female staff members. And working with that and AI and being able to design, build and make drones and race them and do these challenges brought me to a STEAM challenge I said, now I want you to do a dance with the drones and an exhibition, and they did it. They worked with a dance teacher who was in the line-up for The Lion King who I selected, and it was choreographed. They did it for their families and VIPs and dignitaries and also for their classmates, and I think their classmates from work studies were blown away. Like They all erupted in applause because they didn't expect those students to be so professional and amount to anything. And I'm happy to say those were the students who put themselves forward when we had the first qualifications from year 10 to year 11 in um, autonomous operations and when the pilot happened with qualifications and the Premier announced it, our students were in line to get those opportunities in that trial and to learn about that and can you imagine how exceptionally that places them for their futures, including an Aboriginal girl? So I just think these are the opportunities we open up that normally they wouldn't have had. Hmm. That's actually very interesting. You're the second guest in a row on this show to mention Witwa as a career highlight. Of course, we talked to Lexi McDonald last week who mentioned the same thing. Moving on, though, uh, you've done a lot of work in partnership with government and different industries. How important is collaboration to you with other sectors when it comes to education? Collaboration is key, and mm. I mean proper collaboration, because I think there's a lot of lip service out there, Charlie. Yeah. This concerns me greatly because I think it has to be 
like it is with the pathway and technology, we're the southern PTEC and mm. we've got Joseph Banks as the northern PTEC. These are an excellent paradigm of a functional <coughs> business and industry tertiary and other partnershiping on a, on a long-term basis where everyone buys in and there's the genuine... You've got genuine co-design work. You're sharing information, what they need and what they're looking for in their workers, what we're developing. You get it all aligned. They don't understand things like how our timetables work or whatever, but we're trying to align all of that so students get the ultimate in their learning. And you can only do it together, and that's the whole point. Our rebranded motto is achieving excellence together. That was suggested by one of our students who was on the school board. So we're giving student voice a top priority as well. They see it in a way, and we want to help them to have their vision established and become tangible. Mm. That is how you got here. Let you go in just a moment, but two questions before you do. Is a little chance to reflect. First of all, anything you might change along the way? Do you know what? There'd be lots of things I'd change. Mm. Um, I'm not risk adverse. Yeah. And um, I remember saying to somebody once who was questioning, you know, have you done a risk assessment on what you're doing? And I said, high risk, high reward. <laughs> so I think, you know, I'm prepared and we want our students to be prepared to um, learning, our chief scientist calls it. Learning. Learning by failing. Ah. You've got to learn to fail first and fail fast. And I made big mistakes and that's okay because we want to model that for the students. I admitted it when I made a mistake to the staff. I told them, look, I believe in PBL but I changed the whole timetable and changed the world and you all had an hour to collaborate and we mucked around with timetabling, we got permission to do it. Everyone went on to PBL but at least it broke the ice and caused change to occur and that disruption, and I think some of us are disruptive teachers in a positive way because from that grows out very, very sound and excellence in terms of teaching and taking risks. Mm. Now, finally, a hypothetical we pose to everyone here on how did I get here. 15-year-old Stella is sitting in front of you. What advice are you giving her? Oh, I love that question. (laughs) I would say... Just have true grit. True grit. True grit. Sorry, here I go again. (laughs) Because it's going to get tough if you really want to do something meaningful for every single child. If you really want to open doors, transform lives and give people viable futures. If you care about your nation, if you care about the globe, if you want to have a global village, then you're going to have to do things that nobody else has dreamed of and you might have to be the pioneer who takes the arrows in your back. But don't let that put you off your game. Because as long as you put the students first and what you truly believe in, you can never lose. That is How Did I Get Here For Today. You can catch us on our social, student underscore edge on Instagram, student edge on TikTok. Search us up student edge or How Did I Get Here on YouTube and head to studentedge.org for all our articles, podcasts, deals, competitions, career tips, education advice and much, much more. Stella, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Charlie, and thanks everyone for tuning in. Bye. Bye.